0: Hey, do you want a career in game development or filmmaking? Come to Terminus! Terminus Conference and Festival is a -a one-of-a-kind event for emerging creatives in film and gaming. It's held June 22nd to 25th, 2017 in Atlanta, Georgia. And if you haven't been to Atlanta at the end of June, this is the perfect chance. It's beautiful. Uh, Terminus is the perfect thing for creators and fans looking to grow their careers while also having fun. You can explore different networking opportunities, go to parties, Uh, there are educational workshops for game developers, and they're led by the likes of Ubisoft, Eidos Montreal, and Shell Games. Best of all, listeners to this podcast can get 25% off of all access badges by using the code NERDISTWRITER, all one word and all lowercase, at checkout. That's NERDISTWRITER. Go to terminusevent.com, T-E-R-M-I-N-U-S-E-V-E-N-T.com, and use the code NerdistWriter to go to the Terminus Conference and Festival at the end of June. You will love it.
1: Now entering
2: nerdist.com.
0: Welcome to the Writer's Panel. I'm Ben Blacker, the creator and moderator of the podcast. I created the show because I wanted to talk to other writers about the business and process of writing. I've had more than 500 writers on the show, so please check the archives to find more writers and more TV shows of interest to you. I'm a writer myself, having written for Supernatural, Puss in Boots, and other programs. I have a couple of cool projects out this first quarter of 2017 that I hope you'll check out. One is a Supernatural Western comic book series from Boom Publishing that I wrote with my writing partner, Ben Acker, and our friend, the TV showrunner, Andrew Miller. It's beautifully illustrated by Hannah Christensen and the first issue is available in comic stores and online February 8th. In March comes the first book in a series of young adult novels that Acker and I wrote called Star Wars Join the Resistance. It takes place just before The Force Awakens and is about a bunch of kids who join the fight against the First Order. But mostly they have adventures, fall in love with each other, and get in trouble. I hope you'll check out both of those projects. We're very proud of how they came out. Let me know who you'd like to hear on this podcast by following me on Twitter, at Ben Blacker, like the color, only more so, liking the Writer's Panel on Facebook, and visiting writerspanel.tumblr.com. And if you like the show, please leave a review on iTunes. Reading those reviews really provides a pick-me-up.
2: They write, they talk, and talk about what they write. Tune in <laughs> that, that, tonight, or whenever the time is right. It's the Writer's Panel with Ben Blacker, and it's starting now. Oh.
0: This is really how we're starting. Um, hi, we're doing it. Uh, I am lucky to have today uh, John Hoburg and Kat Lickle. Thank you guys for being here. Absolutely. Oh, yeah.
1: Talk about ourselves. Are you crazy? <laughs> <laughs>
0: I feel like we've done this before, but we actually haven't. We I was sort like, oh, like time to come back, but we did just a I feel like every time thing. we talk. I That's think every true. time we talk, it's
1: just like this. We, we yeah. did a live thing, and it was going to be, Kat and I were going to talk for like with you for 10 yes. minutes, and then bring the cast out, and we all talked for like 35 or 40 <laughs> yeah, minutes.
0: The audience was thrilled, I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> Great, more writers talking. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. No, we don't want to see the pretty actors. <laughs> um, that was during Gallivant, which mm-hmm. you guys ran in the second season, is Great. that right? Yeah. Um, but you had been with from the beginning? Yes. Uh-huh. Um, and yeah. now you are, the. we should say, you're the show Runners of Downward Dog, mm-hmm. which is premiering on ABC. Mm-hmm. May 17th. Okay. And this will be out before that, so we can oh, great. talk about it. And also, we can talk about it glowingly. Because you, when you guys came in, I told you I will tell you this on microphones and off. I love <laughs> this show. <laughs> now, granted, I have a dog bias. <laughs> um, and there is stuff in those first few episodes um, that is like, if you are a dog owner and dog lover... This is for you. But oh, it's yeah. really, like, it's a great indie comedy, the whole thing, all the way through.
1: Yeah, we um, so we didn't create the show. We mm-hmm. came in to work with these two guys, Michael um, Killen and Sam Hodges, who created it. And so they did the pilot, and then we came in to run the show, help them run the show, or run the show with them. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, so we got to see the pilot as fans first, and, and I remember we took the meeting... Our agent was like, "You should meet these guys that did this talking dog show." And we seriously were like, "All right, well, let's take this me. I just want to see which people made a talking dog show for network." I was so excited, yeah, because you know, I figured this is going to be a clusterfuck. <laughs> and uh, we show up, and they're awesome. These two guys, yeah. And you could tell they would kind of, you know, the when there's a good pilot, you look like you've been through a war a little bit because it's hard. And they had that look. In oh, their they eyes. so look like they've been through a war. <laughs> they were just, they were, yeah,
2: dead-eyed, worn out. They were wearing like army fatigues, and I, I swear to God, there were bullet holes. (laughs)
1: But then we read the script, and the script was like, all right, well, that's actually kind of cool. I wonder how it looks. And then they showed us the web series when we Mm -hmm. sat down with them, and immediately we are like, they figured out how to make a talking dog cool. And and it was amazing. And so then we were fans at first, like, hooked. And our big thing we keep saying was, like, we, we wanted to see what, their next episodes were, not what some showrunner came in and turned into their own version of that show. And so we decided that's what we wanted to do, is be the people. We knew we could trust us to not do that. Mm-hmm. And so we wanted to come in and protect them.
0: Yeah, that's sort of, I mean, I think it's an unusual thing. I and mean, it's a thing that you have to get rid of your ego, right? When you're yeah. on these deals and you get put on shows, or asked to, do, to run someone else's show. yeah. Um, and when I hear about it too infrequently. You hear about Stories where it goes well for both people, but so seldom is it like, how do I pro- help protect this vision? Mm-hmm. You know? Um, do you think that came from? I feel like we learned that in we, Galavant this season 2
1: Yeah. Um, because, well, two yeah. things.
2: We had an experience really early on when we had just started out together. Um, both uh, being married and working together, <laughs> mm-hmm. um, which is it's a fun thing to do both of those things at <laughs> once. Um, especially early on, <laughs> especially oh, yeah, right great. before you don't you barely know somebody's name, and now you're you're <laughs> yeah. like giving each other like, notes. I met you You're not even you. you're not even related to. Yeah. Me. <laughs> um, But uh, we had an experience where we had, very early on, uh, sold a series to the Disney Channel. And... um they brought, a, they brought a guy, an experienced showrunner, to come in and run it, and very quickly, he started to take it over and turn it into what he wanted it to be, hmm. rather than what it was. Or and, and so it ended up being a real mess of a situation, and then nothing ended up ever happening with the show, because it wasn't what the network wanted, it wasn't what he wanted it to be, and it certainly wasn't what we wanted it mm-hmm. to be. So I think I, we had that experience under our belts. And
1: we never never forgot that feeling of, because we wrote a draft of the script, and mm-hmm. he was a nice guy yeah, we really he was not very talented. To,
2: yeah, he was not trying to do anything he wrong. He was
1: trying to help us, but we had a, a vision for what we wanted this to be, and it was about cockroaches that became teenage boys. So it was a very important oh my show. God. <laughs> and we had a strong vision for oh, it. Oh, it
2: will be on the air at some point.
1: <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so we, it was almost like the tone we were going for with Disney Channel, we were wrong to go for this tone, is
0: uh, <laughs> <laughs> is Ghost World. <laughs> sure, sure. I like think these two guys wandering around talking about stuff as Hannah Montana, as- Ghost World. <laughs> I think yeah, was- and they also. But here's
2: the thing that really sold it is like they they rode big wheels wherever they went. Oh, that's <laughs> right. Like,
0: <What? laughs> no, it <laughs> anyway, was bad. It, 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 it was not nice. bad. It was was it shot. No, no, never. So just
1: the, the deal took so long. It was <laughs> this is one of my favorite things about it. Is uh, we they Disney Channel really excited about it. They're like this. They want the high concept. That's that's, a fun that's idea. what they wanted. And then the whole thing was, you know, it's like uh, Third Rock from the Sun, where sure. the the jokes are a, a fire alarm goes in the school and they don't know what the hell that means. You know, like they don't know how the world works. And then the deal took so long to close; it took like six months or something. That there were new marching orders, and so they wanted no high concepts at all. <laughs> and so then we had to—we were given the note on day one: uh, do the pilot, but as if they're very much used to being
0: humans. <laughs> and <laughs> they've they don't been talk boys about, for
2: a long they're time just, now, so uh,
0: they're just kids. <laughs> <Yeah>. They're kids. <laughs> this is the premise. They're yeah, kids. They're kids. <laughs> exactly.
2: They're kids in school, and, and the big wheels thing. Yeah, lose it. Oh, um, but so, so anyway, we,
1: we never forgot that feeling, and I think. Um, <clears throat> I think if this person had come in and tried to, instead of feeling like, well, that's a crazy idea, the Ghost World thing, how do we find how that works at Mm -hmm. Disney Channel? Sure,
0: how do I translate it? We would have found
1: something really special, I think. Um, And I think that's kind of where we, you're right, that's where we first got that feeling of being on the other side of that. Let me ask
0: you this. I want to talk a lot about Downward Dog, but I do want to fill in some of this other stuff. So, you know, I think... There's advice to be given for people in that situation, the one that you found yourselves in uh, as write, new writers who had someone brought in to help them shepherd a project. What can you do, what can I do as a new writer, mm-hmm. you know, working with someone who's more experienced to maintain the what I think is the integrity of the project?
1: It's a, it's a tough thing. I think it's the person you... What you can do is sort of your homework when you meet people. Um, But I think everybody means – anybody you meet mm-hmm. with is going to mean well. Like, yeah, I want to help you keep your voice. Um, but uh, I think you need
2: to look for – I think you need to think about what it is that's really important to you about your project. And I think it's also important to be open to – I think it's important to be open to mm-hmm. the other ideas that come in. Um, Michael and Sam certainly were because we needed to take this very, very indie show and try to make it a little bit more towards a network. Um, but so, but you also need to, you need to figure out what's important to you, um, do your homework and ask the questions that are important, uh, to you of the people that are are coming in. So you can get, you need to Mm -hmm. really suss out those sensibilities. It's not enough, like, is this a nice person? Do I like them? It has to be like, are our sensibilities really going to mesh on this thing? And so I think you need to think about, the, you know sort of what 's behind your project to, to 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 elicit those responses from the person that you 're going to be working yeah, with. and yeah. Sam and Michael had a
1: super clear um, yeah. idea of like mm-hmm. uh, they knew what they wanted the feel to be, and it was uh, there 's all these talking animal things, and they always have the same tropes in a way, and they were like we never want to we never want to do those typical talking dog things. So right there, we got the idea of what they wanted. Um, And so if you know at the core of it, like what is, if it's an onion, you can lose all this stuff, but what's Mm -hmm. at the core you can't lose? Um, Try to find out if that person agrees with you. Um, And then we learned, because we've done a lot of supervising for younger writers or like an actor who's written a script, but Mm -hmm. they need someone to help, you know, kind of shape and stuff. And um, one thing we learned is that Coming in, you're going to want that person to be a teammate, not not another executive. Sure. And that's what we talked to Sam and Michael about. It's like, if you know, when we're coming in here, it's the four of us are the core. Mm-hmm. Um, we are right at the middle and the core doesn't break, <laughs> you know, and, yeah. and no one's on the outside of that core. It's just the four of us. And everybody else is kind of in a way on the outside. Yeah. And if they can commit to that and we can commit to that, then we, we're kind of unstoppable and we're not going to, you know, we're not going to break. Yeah. So I think that's yeah. part of it too.
2: Yeah. It's all about standing together.
1: Yeah, yeah. it is. And it gets tough. I mean, you know, the whole process is really, really hard. And so, you know, it would be easy to sort of shake apart and, and we were able to hold strong with these guys.
2: Which doesn't mean you're not going to have conflict. You're going to mm-hmm. have conflict because it's like, and, and we certainly did. And there would be things that these guys never having been in network before, um, like I think John alluded to, it's like for a, a long time they were going, oh, my God, it feels so networky. You're just turning. And we're like, no, this is the furthest <laughs> thing from network. It's like we know how far away it is. And so it's, and you're arguing those things Mm -hmm. out, you know, and sometimes it can get, sometimes it can get a little heated Mm -hmm. because it's like, you know, they want something that it's like, that is absolutely just not going to fly on network. It just, it just isn't. And, and there, so there's things that we have to hold firm on, but we also have to be willing to move a little out of our comfort zone and move together towards what their vision is, um, keeping an eye, an eye on the bigger picture. Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's it's such an interesting... This show feels like it's such a tough line to walk mm-hmm. in the making of it. I mean, it is a very specific tone. It's a specific kind of comedy. It's a very funny show, but it's not a joke-heavy show. Yeah. yeah. But there's there are jokes in it, Yeah, and they're really good, smart jokes that are... The, it felt to me like the kind of jokes that your friends make, mm-hmm. your funny friends make, yeah. and not the kind of jokes that are manufactured.
1: You know, I think some of that... Is well, we try not to chase the joke too much. Mm -hmm. Like that, I think we, weirdly on Gallivant, we had the same philosophy, even though that's just joke filled. Yeah. Um, And it was that we never, this isn't 100% true with Mm -hmm. (laughs) Gallivant, but it's like we tried to let the jokes just kind of roll and not tee them up so much. And it's Mm -hmm. like if you miss that one, you miss that one. Here's another one, maybe you'll. um, And with this, even more, we were really trying to, as a group, um, you know, keep that voice that they had and, and part of that voice was it's almost sitting back in the comedy versus sitting forward is how we always described it. It's like you're chilling out like you're chilling hmm. out with your friends. That's interesting. Um and so we didn't sit in a big writer's room and beat jokes because that's where you get that that, yeah,
0: yeah, that, that, that overworked really feeling. overworked feeling. Yeah. yeah.
1: And then I we have this philosophy that it's like I feel like for so long, we did multicams and all these, and where you just sit there and beat joke, 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 and it becomes, I think, personally, it becomes noise. Everything is at the same level. So then nothing stands yep. out as funny. And so we – this is going to sound like a cop-out, but we <laughs> like the joke that may not land but makes us laugh a little <laughs> because it sets up the one that you know is a home run. Yeah, no, it should be
2: like waves. I feel like it, it should come in waves because if, every, if everything is at a peak,
1: yeah,
2: you, you don't feel it anymore. Yeah.
0: So. Yeah, and I think that's that goes for the emotional story. That mm-hmm. goes for the plot, right? You want some high yeah. action part, and then you want to rest for a minute. I yeah, mean, this yeah. is this is. It feels like basic storytelling, but yeah. often in half hours. That gets lost. Yeah. And, it- and
2: I will say that I was so relieved, though, when we were sitting in Sundance, because this is our philosophy that we, we fought for and stood by and, and all of those things. And so when we were sitting in the theater in Sundance and we had like 450 people in there and you're like, I hope this
1: works.
2: <laughs> and um, and then it's like in those first, you know, the the first time Martin comes on to speak. Just not even just seeing this dog talk but hearing what he's saying it's like yeah. you could hear the laughter start rolling through the theater and it was like I can, take a de- I can take a deep breath now.
1: When people were getting the the more subtle jokes, we were hoping mm-hmm. they would, and it, it was it's a yeah, rare thing to see. There are almost like
0: life. there aren't those talking animal jokes, but there are these conceptual talking animal jokes, <laughs> yeah. which is so neat. No, it's 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 like how does a dog see the world? Yeah. <laughs> right. You well,
2: know? then they don't love us. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> they, they just That's don't.
0: one of those breaking oh the God. trope. Yeah. Is like yeah. they're not they're not so loyal funny. all the
1: time. Like we we have dogs and are. I'm convinced our dogs lie to us sometimes. Like, I'm pretty sure (laughs) they do. And uh, so it's like going against all those things that he's always loyal and he's always, you Mm -hmm. know, um, only wants to chase squirrels and things like that. That was Sam and Michael's, like, we do not do any of those things.
0: But there's this great stuff in there. I mean, Martin, the dog, says at one point... I'm only human. Right. <laughs> or I feel like, he says of he and Nan, his owner, I feel like we're two different species sometimes. <laughs> yeah. No. Which is so fun. Like, you talk about the bond, yeah. but it's, it's in a very real way. This is the thing I was so curious to hear from you guys, is like, where is that line? How do you, how do you make this character this dog a character well, without making it a to, caricature?
1: Well so Sam Hodges is mm-hmm. uh he's the vo- literally the voice of the dog. Mm-hmm. He voices the and character. And it's such a
0: funny, dry, low key Oh, it's, mm-hmm.
1: it's great. And he is he's got an incredibly interesting background where he was raised with a very religious father in a cabin in the woods and they were, you know, and so, he, so more or less with no electricity, no you know, he wow. you
2: no know, running water kind of it's like I always joke that he was raised like a bear in the woods. I think it was <laughs> I think it was a little bit better than that, but
1: it was But so he's got these really interesting stories, but he was He was writing essays for a long time. Um, and, and he's very open about this, too, is he has a, a stutter, a very, a very... Pronounced stutter. Yeah, very pronounced mm-hmm. stutter. And so as a kid, he used to get into arguments, and he said, I never had that problem where I couldn't think of the right singer, hmm. but I couldn't get it out, and it drove him crazy. So he started writing, and the first time he started writing, he was like, ah, I can say what I want exactly what I want to. And he became like an essayist, I yeah. know, for... Um, religious arguments. And that was his thing that he got really into. Um, and so his point of view is huge in this because Martin is a philosopher. Yeah. And he's arguing like this was I always what was hard for people to get their heads around at first. And Kat and I got it right away. It's like you ask Martin a question. Um, normally you'd be like, and, and it would be like asking your eccentric uncle, should I get my <laughs> driver's license? <clears throat> Normally in storytelling, you'd be like the guy would say no, and here's why. Martin goes the other way, which is, well, the car really started back in the you know whatever <laughs> 1900s, and then and he works his way around to some crazy thing, hmm. and then answers the question. Yeah, yeah. And that's kind of what that comes from. Sam's essay writing and argument that's really style. interesting. And so I think this is a philosophical. These are philosophical. <laughs> Uh, you know, like arguments for mm-hmm. death or for life, and
2: or what is a relationship? It's yeah. like he talks. It's like there's this great, and I think it made in, in, into the final cut, that uh, where he's saying, "Who is Nan to me? Mm-hmm. Is she my lover? Is she my friend? Is she? Are we in a relationship? She are we? <laughs> she my captor? Yeah. Where he's and you do wonder if your dog feels that way. It's like we just got we actually brought a dog home from the the shoot who needed a home, a little cocker spaniel puppy. And you sometimes look at him and go like, did I just capture you or do you want to across the country? (laughs) (laughs) Do you want to be here? And it's, you know, which
0: there's there's a great episode. Is it in the trash episode? where he sort of talks about where he comes yeah. from and Oh yeah, isn't that great? His life then and now and oh that episode is killer. And then there's also again this great stuff of he calls himself a trash dog. Yeah. yeah. Which is really funny. <laughs> and well, and then certainly the, how we think our rescue dog thinks of himself. Yeah, <laughs>
1: yeah, it's true. And then that he's got kind of an issue with it that he's kind yeah. of, like I think the really interesting thing he's is
0: he's such a neurotic character. He's yeah. neurotic
1: <laughs> and he lies to you. Like he, mm-hmm. he says like, "Oh, well, you know, Nan doesn't understand me. I'm a wild animal or I'm mm-hmm. a trash dog." and I'm proud of being a trash dog, is kind of his attitude at the top. And then you find out three-quarters of the way through, he's kind of ashamed of his background, and he's just even lucky that someone loves him because of it. Well, this
0: is a question I had. Is he lying to us, or is he lying to himself? Like, what is this animal's, what is this character's self-awareness? I think he's he's lying to himself I think
2: he is. I think that's that's his coping mechanism. Mm -hmm. Because it's like, if he didn't have that, it's like, we all need that. It's like all inside most of us, I know me, I feel very broken inside, you know. And, well,
0: you've been in comedy a long time. <laughs> <laughs> and
1: well,
2: it's, it's the
0: marriage. Right? Yeah,
2: yeah that, it's really that. It's, yeah. not the, it's not the career. It
0: happens.
2: Um, but it's, it's, and you have I to won. protect that. <laughs> Everybody is like, you know, one of those chocolate Easter eggs, show, you know, the kind that has the hard candy on the sure. outside and then it's like soft melty chocolate on mm-hmm. the inside. And all of us are just trying to protect this soft melty chocolate on the inside <laughs> and some of us have a thicker shell, we're born with a shell that's cracked and we leak out all over the place, you know, and it's and that's what it is. And so Martin is, I think, really, really vulnerable inside. And so he just needs this shell of his you know, he tries to put on this literally put on a tough dog act and he's not. He's broken. He's a little broken man.
1: There's the uh the episode where he starts off talking about how and and you can tell he's lying to himself, but he's saying his relationship with Nan is is great. They've hit this higher form of love where they don't show affection anymore. Yes. <laughs> and he's clearly oh. lying to himself because he wants more affection from yeah. her. But he's like, no, it's great. And you know, and he's saying that she's like this well-worn sleeping pad. Like it's yeah, it's not new, but it's comfortable. And, <laughs> and then he finds out that she has. These, this group of friends that he didn't know about. And then you then you see the honesty kind of come through, which is it really upset him. Um, and I feel like that's... Everybody I know would in a relationship would act like, well, yeah, I'm just right. tired of this thing, when really they wish it was more, you know, if they were feeling those <laughs> things. And so I think that's what's so true about the character. And that's what I think what's so good about it is it's very honest.
0: Well, and it gives you... I'm curious to hear how it gives you license to explore or not explore or, you know go deep in an obvious way with nan because like her storylines are sort of counterpoint to his mm-hmm. uh, or and vice versa uh, throughout right they're the a and b stories yeah. mm-hmm. in every episode um but i thought it was great that like we don't we don't learn a lot about her until we go along with the series yeah yeah you know in that first episode we learn a few things and she's an incredibly likable character in part because how she's written in part because Alison Tolman is amazing in this yeah, part. She really is. like she brings so much humanity to this which is also already a very human character. Mm-hmm. But like how do you balance the the stories and the emotional life of Nan with Martin? Well, I think what were the conversations in the room.
1: The biggest the biggest rule that when Sam and Michael and Kat and I all got together it's like our biggest rule was the audience, you give you get one big buy from an audience, and then, then they, they tune out. And so we already have one baked in the cake, which is a dog talks to camera. And so we all decided, and they'd already come to mostly there or even there in the pilot, like everything is real. Like no mm. motivation can be fake. Um, we can't go for something mm. big and comic just because it's funny. Um, even to the point where like in Nan's house we made sure you could see the cords plugged into the wall and dust bunnies and it's it looked great. like
2: and it looks like it actually looks like a lot of this stuff was just bought at thrift stores everything mm-hmm. that was in the, it's a real oh, house oh. in a real neighborhood we it, shot it everything on it. yeah real looked, locations in Pittsburgh
1: we look crazy because it's I think the crew thought we were nuts like they would set up the scene and then Kat and I would run in there and like <laughs> like throw some blankets around and like <laughs> mess stuff <things> up because <laughs> it, it and then it suddenly felt like the show but yeah. when it felt too clean it felt like what well, we're doing We're doing a TV show. And everybody really
2: quickly caught on and bought into it. It's like you got to do a little mind shift, even with the crew and your heads of department, to get them into that kind of thinking because they're all so used to like cleaning everything up completely. But it has
0: this amazing lived in feel, which I think the best shows, the best movies do.
1: Yeah. And I think that rule applied to every aspect. And, Mm -hmm. And we were constantly saying that. Like, even to publicity when we were talking to ABC, like, we have one by, it's a talking dog, let's make everything else grounded and real. And I think that, that inf- for sure informed the stories. So Nan's stories were, the thought was, okay, well she has a a win, but it's a win, and it's not New York, it's not L.A., mm-hmm. it's Pittsburgh, it's a smaller city. And it's just a small human win. Yeah. It's not a giant thing. And so I think by keeping her small, that helped balance it a little bit, too. Um,
0: yeah, to me, I I think th- that, yeah, I felt that as well just in watching it is... is is her stories are so small. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. They're very, they happen to any of us. Yeah. Uh, but the stakes feel so huge because we're so invested in her and her world. I wanted to ask you guys, um, which we should have done this at the top, but how do you sell this show? How do you tell people about I this show? It's a yeah, hard thing.
1: Uh, I kind of, I always start, I always say it's a talking dog show, but I swear it's good. <laughs> and that's not to that's not to attack any we'll other talking dog shows. Or, or talking like
0: horse or that. talking yeah. anything. <laughs>
1: those I mean those other shows are trying to be exactly what they are mm-hmm. and they do what they want to do well. But I think uh it you know, it, it And another way we describe it is it's if Charlie Kaufman
0: did a talking talk show. That's the way that I talk about it. Uh, I don't know that that's selling people either. (laughs) That's true. Well, a lot
2: of people go, Charlie... Who? Right. Yeah. <laughs>
1: exactly. And then you're lost. trying to. Yeah, well, yeah, for that. your
2: network television audience. <laughs>
1: um, yeah, but I think that's a big way we do it. Because I, I always realize whenever I want to tell people, oh, we're doing this talking dog show, you can see them like, oh, okay, I already know what it is. And we want to say it's not. Yeah. It's not what you think. It's no, totally it's, different. It's
0: an interesting thing, and I wonder about how this came about. It, and I think it it happens more as you go through the series that... Martin's narration starts to feel more like narration.
1: Mm-hmm. As much
0: as you see him talk, and as much as the, his stories are about him, yeah. it does start to feel like this almost omniscient narrator, even though he's so self-centered also.
1: Yeah. Well, we had this, this cool realization kind of halfway through, I think, where Michael and Kat and Sam and I were talking about it, like, maybe Martin doesn't talk to the kid. Maybe that is all just make-believe. Mm-hmm. And basically you know how you put your feelings on your pet you'll look at me like oh he's happy because you're happy or he's sad because you're sad i mean in a lot of ways the way the story's lined up it almost felt like martin is expressing nan's deepest concerns at that moment in his own way but it's almost like she's putting her fears at that moment on That's the dog mm-hmm. <laughs> again charlie Kaufman for it's a fucking dog show no one will definitely.
0: but again like you're just all you're doing there is extending the metaphor mm-hmm. right it's mm-hmm. like yes we all do this and we all project onto. Well, we're things. all of us. It's like we're all more you can say whatever you want, but all of
2: us are more concerned with ourselves really than we are with anybody else. It's like, cause we're living inside of our own heads. Sure. You know, your, your, your head and your body is your own world. Yeah. <laughs> it's just like, and, and that's where we are really all focused and we can look outward as much as we want to, or try to look outward and look back at ourselves. And that's just what the dog is doing
1: in this show. And there were a couple moments that just laid out really nicely. And we noticed in editing almost more than in script, mm-hmm. although there were intentional spots where we wanted what martin says to parallel um but there's there's the episode where he wants to be the full package he wants to be brains and brawn and he discovers you know he thinks he's an intellectual and then he discovers he's not even as smart as this brawny dog and so he's got nothing and he's and in the meantime nan is trying to date above her you know, mm-hmm. her class in a in a weird way and discovers that she doesn't need that. But they kind of both come to the same moment of like, it doesn't matter if I'm hmm. the full package. And really Nan's looking for the full package in this guy. And it turns out, even though she's not aware of it we are, the guy that she's pushing away is it doesn't matter if he's the full package, yeah. he's right. And so it was nice how all those things kinda of kissed at the same time. And so we found that a lot in in the editing. Sure.
0: And and again and the writing at I the mean, same time you have these big ideas, you have some really deft storytelling going on, but you also have this very funny, weird performance from Tim Amundsen
1: yeah. as the, the dog trainer. That'd be
0: great. You have these great, like, Martin going through the obstacle course, and just like any of our dumb dogs would do it. Yeah.
1: That then, Sam, by the way, uh, we'd shot that, and it was mm-hmm. it was hard. Like, how do you make it... How do you show that the dog kind of can't, Martin can't figure yeah. out the obstacle? And Sam had this idea of make it a horror movie. And he showed That's us great. this cut, and it was just like the boom, <laughs> dark. And it suddenly really started to that come is what to, it, to life.
2: Yeah, yeah. You, you really get the sense that Martin has that ears buzzing moment when you just, it's oh. like they are totally failing. Well, that was and, an,
1: a, Oh, sorry. No, go ahead. It was another thing we realized is, if, to Martin, um... These are the most important moments. I mean, they're as big as anything, sure. and so it's like to him. So if so, you can't put funny music in it. You mm-hmm. got to treat it. You got to treat it as if the show is being told from Martin's point of view. Yeah. So if it's important to Martin, it is the most important thing in the world. And we notice that with music, mm-hmm. the music choices, and
2: we even did that kind of thing with where the camera sits all the time. Mm-hmm. It's like because um, when you're with Martin, you wanted everything to be you know, lower down from a Martin point of view. So so just where even your lighting and where, you know, where you're aiming things. So it's like we were always, for the people, we were always shooting sort of like, you know, middle of the chest looking mm-hmm. up a little bit. Or, you know, we would go up, but you always get the sense we're a little further back and a little lower down than you would be on a normal mm-hmm. show because everything kind of has that that Martin perspective to it.
1: And that, that was... Uh, I mean, again, the, the, we want to keep crediting Sam and Michael's vision because that was... Yeah. I mean, that was that was all in there. That was yeah. that core that we're talking about. That was even in the short, Yeah, yeah it yeah, was. Yeah, it was, absolutely. I mean, so in, in a lot of ways, I feel like... And whenever we say we, we mean all four of us because yeah. it really is that core. And we were coming in to help protect but help get through the paces, but some of these choices they made in the shorts were so brilliant, mm-hmm. too. Hmm. And the framing and the lensing, like they would yeah. use... Uh, which now I know everything about after spending all this time with these guys because mm-hmm. they have all this experience uh, with filmmaking, is like using prime lenses instead of zooms. So it's basically you get what's in focus here, but mm-hmm. everything else falls off into blur. Um, television, usually you get zooms because it's faster. Right, you Just do that and now you got your clothes. Um, all these things add up to make such a clear vision. Um,
0: yeah, and, and it's a show that doesn't look like other shows. Yeah, and it feels it. like... Uh, Comedy has wanted to go this way for a while. Like we're seeing this on FX, right? Yeah. Is, and in HBO for that matter, like those comedies don't look like other comedies on TV. Each show look has its own look, yeah, uh, as it should, mm-hmm. right? You're creating yeah. a world.
2: Well, I think every, you know, what is really hard. One of the hardest things I think <laughs> was dealing with the network and the studio on all of this. Um, and they love the show. I have to preface mm-hmm. this by saying that they love the show and um, everybody. Bought into it ultimately from top to bottom. I think there was skepticism, you know, at various points in the project. What's well, weird? I mean, before all, we before we came on and after,
1: and we're all but, trying to do something new, and new is yeah. hard for everybody. Yeah. And so it was a lot of finding, like, okay, where's that if it's a venn diagram like where where where's that little part where we intersect and we were able to find that a lot with
2: yeah but there was a lot of it doesn't have it's a network comedies tend all to be really bright Mm -hmm. you know to be lit really bright you know and uh you know lots of primary colors you know in and and very clean and we were you know one by one pulling all of those things away. Um, although I, I have to go back and say it was in the pilot. It's mm-hmm. it's just like, but it was, it was like having to wrestle them out of the hands of the network because they were very nervous about it because sure. they're really stepping, they really stepped up and stepped out of the box too. And I have to say that everybody was um, ultimately really supportive and, um, and bought into it I think everybody who
1: the show wouldn't be what it is if they hadn't bought in I mean it was it was really it was cool Um, and we got we got why it was scary for them and it was scary for us (laughs) but it was a leap of faith and I think you know being the first network comedy ever at Sundance sort of shows like it worked that's amazing you know you can you can
0: yeah, t- t- tell me about that for a second. Like, how how did that even happen? Did they? It was a surprise. They submitted. Surprise. How does? Well,
2: it's legendary as the as um, right. the studio, and uh, we talked early on to 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 really. You're going to put a talking dog show on network television. It's like the first thing people think of is like, "Ooh, that's going to be that's going to be dumb." And so we needed to find somebody who could be a tastemaker, somebody mm-hmm. who had kind of the authority behind them, whatever it was going to be. Was it going to be a big review? Was it going to be like a review in the New York Times? Was it going to be, you know, some intellectual coming out? And But it needed to be a tastemaker to say, it's okay to like this mm-hmm. show.
1: And, and we kind of learned that from uh, The Neighbors, the Dan Fogelman mm-hmm. show that we worked on, and then Gallivant also, is when you have a high concept, it's such an easy target for press who haven't even seen it yeah. to just attack. And so that was something, you know, we'd had experience with. And, and day one, when we came on, we're like, we've got to find this tastemaker. Mm-hmm. And yeah, we talked to uh, a legendary publicity and uh, Maureen Murphy, who I will forever <laughs> say her name with love because of this, <laughs> uh, and her team, they they took it seriously. And we didn't even know they were submitting it. Yeah,
2: they us. submitted it secretly. They That's were so like, we're just going to give this a shot um, because it was the first year that Sundance was going to be bringing in network network TV shows, comedies and dramas, and um, so they just kept it quiet because like, if it doesn't work out, right. we don't need to tell anybody, you know. And then one day, just out of the blue, we got a call. Everybody on the phone going, "So <laughs> we're in Sundance." Yeah. <laughs> it was wild. Just, it, was yeah, crazy. it was crazy.
1: It, 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 the whole time, even when we were there, we're like, "This is bizarre." Like, <laughs> yeah. And yeah. Sundance didn't know what to
0: do with television because so they don't know right who does what, and you know,
1: <laughs> it was it was it was cool. It
0: must have looked amazing on the screen though, because yeah. like I great. said, like you guys shot the hell out of the show. Yeah the directors and dps and everyone like it looks so good. Well, Michael looks so great.
1: Michael shot uh, one of the co-creators shot 4 of the 8. Oh really? Um, yeah, and then we brought in two other directors to do uh, the other 4. Mm-hmm. And uh there was a big fight at the at the beginning over his dp. Just mm-hmm. you know, he, he he had done a ton of advertising um but hadn't done any um network and so you know i mean with so many leaps of faith that was another one that we're (laughs) asking you know the network and studio to take but it was something we felt was really worth fighting for and the guys did for sure and this guy stephen hunter is i mean he is incredible Mm -hmm. he's he's one of the best dps we've ever worked with um and that's such a part of it and you could see it on the big screen he was there he was at uh, sundance yeah so great for him to see yeah it.
2: it was amazing
1: yeah
0: there's a book called inside of a dog Are you guys familiar with this book? Which is a terrific book, and it felt like this is the TV version of this book. Really? Which is by a uh, behavioral psychologist for animals, and she wrote this book about... It is not a dog training book. It is not a dog care book. It's about how your dog sees the world. Okay. And it felt like... The guys at least must have read this book. We'll ask, I or wonder, they bet, just know their dogs this well. Yeah, I'll bet Michael. Or we're all way more similar to dogs than it we may be that. Think, yeah. yeah, it may be I that. I'll have to read that, but I recommend it to everyone who yeah. has a dog. And yeah, it really like it just helped me as a writer to think about perspective uh-huh. in a lot of ways, and I feel like this show does that really well. And I feel like um, a lot of the shows you guys have written for have done that. Like you, you do well with perspective. I'm thinking of. Gallivant, and the way each of these characters sees the world mm-hmm. uh, is unlike the other characters.
1: You know, I I think one of the things that we learned from I mean, some of the best, obviously, mm-hmm. like with Victor Fresco, who's Andy Richter controls the universe, yeah. and he's got Santa Clara to diet right now, and Greg Garcia on My Name Is Earl, and so we got to see what it looks like when you're climbing into other characters that are so different and then writing from their perspective Um, so I I think that's where a lot of it came from but I think what we've learned is um, that it's like the character you have in a comedy you have to make it matter so much to that person what they want, <laughs> and yeah. it, and they're in a drama. I think that's what we've started to fall in love with, is people in a comedy <laughs> think they're in a drama. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And that's what every character in that's Galavant great. was. like. They thought they were in yeah. Game of Thrones, Absolutely. <laughs> but they weren't. And it's all of, about
2: you know, people's vulnerabilities, too. Mm-hmm. It's, a, it's sort of like, uh, there's a couple of different ways to approach a story, and we always approach a story more from... Um, uh, People who don't necessarily think they're good enough, who maybe during – it's sort of like the the, the story arc we uh, really gravitate to is people who don't think they're good enough, who learn potentially that maybe they are. Or that's their struggle all through their life. Um, and and that creates a sense of vulnerability and a very particular perspective mm-hmm. for characters. And I think every character has a, you know, kind of a, you know, I, Donald Trump probably has some kind of inner vulnerability that he's masking with. <laughs> because but, that he's barely
0: masking? <laughs> <laughs> or news. nothing but vulnerability. Or nothing <laughs> but vulnerability.
2: But it's, I think that's what makes people interesting. It's mm-hmm. not people's strengths necessarily that make them interesting, it's their weaknesses and their vulnerabilities. And I think that's something something that John and I
1: gravitate to when we're telling stories. Like if we were to tell – because I, I, Aaron Sorkin, who's brilliant, but his characters are always yeah. really smart and they know it and then they prove to the world they're right, <laughs> it feels like. And yeah. uh, and I think if we were to try to do – they wouldn't be very successful. <laughs> but if we, if we were to do Moneyball, it would be more like the person who had this great idea but didn't think they were good enough for certain reasons mm-hmm. and then were shown to be just as good as everybody else. <laughs> and it's not even like I – You know, I don't know why we love these stories. And I think that's what we love so much about My Name is Earl is Mm -hmm. sort of the redemption of discovering, you know, that anybody can be redeemed. And then also, you know, that it's like everybody's good in there. And when they when, you know, they can just learn that themselves, that they're worthy is such a great story in our minds that we tell it again and again.
0: Yeah. And, And infinitely variable. Mm-hmm. And you can find so many ways to tell that story. It's the
1: same story from Martin this season, I think. Uh, and I think King Richard season two <laughs> literally was, the, the goal was that. How do you redeem <laughs> this buffoon and and show that he's great on the inside? Um, and that's, you know, I mean, that's what we were so drawn to with Earl also and yeah. other shows is is that, you know.
0: When did you guys, or or maybe you always have been, become aware of the kinds of stories that you like to tell or the kinds of characters you like to write?
1: I feel like it was, it was sometime after, or it it was when we realized we would write a a draft of a script, and it kind of had those themes, even if when it was broken in the room, it didn't have those (laughs) themes. And and we started realizing that's kind of what we like to tell. And I think it even got more into when we started like writing some screenplays and some pilots on our own that were outside Mm -hmm. of other shows. Mm -hmm. We kind of started to see that we're drawn to that storytelling a lot. I think makes sense. I think so. I mean, I don't know. Do you remember when we noticed that, or did you always know? Cat's the smart one.
2: <laughs> <laughs> um, I grew up feeling like uh, like I wasn't good enough and <laughs> feeling vulnerable. <horrible. laughs> so so when it's you just like tough. so, you, but you cover it up with all kinds of you know. Yeah, I, w- you know it, it would be. It's like we. I think somebody actually pointed it out to us during hmm. my name is Earl. I think that somebody, which is often, yeah. How these it's, I think somebody happens. else. Yeah. I think somebody else pointed it out to us yeah. and said, it, you know, said kind of the same thing that you made that 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 we come from like a very sp-
0: uh,
1: specific. It was probably Dan Fogelman because he has the ability to analyze oh, you instantly and in one sentence,
0: <laughs> well, not in a is. mean way, in the no, nicest no, no, way possible. No. He cuts right to it. <laughs> no, he just. Uh,
1: <laughs> I I remember... I don't know. Well, I don't don't want to tell that story. But it was was a a very funny thing where he... If
2: if John told that story, you would know everything you need to know about
1: him. Yeah, but we all think we're complicated. And I was telling some story about how I was raised and this and that. And then I just remember Dan saying, oh, do you think that's why you always feel the need to have, like, an expensive car and and a nice watch? And it was like, I'm so simple. Oh, oh, I'm so... I guess. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. Uh, And it wasn't mean. It was just sort of a question. It's
2: just like he's... yeah, he's, he's scary so is, smart, that guy. He is he's such an uh, incited but lovely. Humans, yeah. It's <laughs> insane.
0: Uh, um, yeah. When you guys were going around staffing on shows, um, which was, I mean, not that long ago, how would you sell yourselves? Did you know that you had to go in a room and say, this is what we do? Do you remember we, f- it was by, we learned
1: uh, when we failed uh, what we got a note back on. It. Uh, yeah. Do you remember this? It was for. That's great. Still standing, I think was the show. It was a Jamie Gertz sitcom, yeah. and we really wanted to work on it. We had just worked on the show Hope and Faith, <laughs> and um, we were going around meetings. We'd done a season in New York, and we were ready to come home, and and um, and we had like an hour meeting with these this married writing team. And they were great, and we just sort of talked to— were the showrunners? Yeah. yeah, the showrunners. And they
0: were another married team. Another yeah. married That's team. really funny.
1: And it felt great, and like we were really excited. Yeah. And and, uh, and then we heard back from our agent that they were like, yeah, they seem great, but they really didn't seem like they wanted the job that much, and they didn't really That's sell insane. themselves at all. And, uh, and that was pretty early in our career. And I remember we talked about it. It's like, okay, from now on, we make sure if we really want the job after— because usually these meetings are such— Chit chat a lot of times. Yeah, um, we always make sure to kind of explain what we like about the show, kind of say what we think we could help with, and then at the end, if we really want the show, to say, "Look, however this works out, we would love to work on the show mm-hmm. if, we, if we feel that way." And and I think
0: that that was our, you were able to do that and, and yeah, make it work thereafter.
1: Yeah, and I think I mean it has to be, right. be pretty sincere too. Or yeah, you gotta I think so. Yeah,
2: yeah. I mean, and I think that we never. It's like we also. Yeah, I mean, we'd never go into a meeting on a show that we absolutely didn't want. Yeah. And then very rarely we would go on a meeting on a show that we didn't want. And then if so it's we, not fair to it, them. Yeah, it's not fair sure. to them. And then if we did go in it and then there was something about it that we didn't really like, we wouldn't say that, you know, because that's also not fair. Mm-hmm. But I think by picking out what you like about a show, that tells the showrunners... Mm-hmm. Is our vision the same on this? Or is that, oh, I didn't think about that, about that character, and that's something I would like to have in my room. So I think you kind of expose yourself in those meetings by saying what it is you relate to on a show, what jokes hit you. Because you always come in, what we like to do, this is, um, I'm really uh, giving a big secret here, is like (laughs) we like to read the the person who uh, created the show, their original draft, because... Mm. uh, invariably there's there are jokes in that draft that never made it all the way to the you know to the finished pilot to the network version whatever for whatever reason mm-hmm. lost in rewrites That's you know whatever it's go, just yeah. the, it's just the case but we always pick out a couple of those jokes that we really like and then mention them like oh we saw you lost that joke <laughs> that joke really made us laugh and again it's sincere sure. it's not something that we're not just making something up but um and that also tells you you know, tells you like now sitting on the other side of that and, and having people say those things to us, um, like, Oh, okay. So that person hears those same kind of jokes that I do. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I think that is going to be the kind of person we need in the room. They're going to
1: give me that back. They're going to give me back what it is. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. No. And we, we always, uh, I don't know if this is on your question or not, but we always pitched stories when we go in, but we don't say we're pitching stories. Mm -hmm. Like, on Earl, we did this for sure, is uh, we both grew up in in the Midwest, and we know a lot of people that, you know, are not unlike some Earl-type people, but um, so we kind of came in, and it's like, oh, that's funny, this kind of reminds me of this thing, and we'll tell a story, and we try to find that with, with any show uh, that we're meeting on, and, and there's something different if you say here's some story ideas. Yeah. Now you're saying here's what I think your show is and this is a great way to
2: explain out or this is the w- script I would want to write or the right. or the episodes I would pitch. Yeah. And yeah
1: but like, if you go that's into Modern Family and you're like, it's so funny, God, uh, you know, my, my sister just had this thing that happened that just, you know, it seems like kind of. Mm-hmm. And then you tell a personal story that you're pitching it, but you're not you're not saying like me or don't like me. Right. Um, <laughs> it really gives the showrunner, and we've had this from the other side now when we have meetings. It really gives you a sense of like, oh, okay, that's what they find funny, that's what they like. Mm-hmm. But it also doesn't put you in the awkward position of disliking or liking them. So yeah. I don't know.
0: That's 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 really one of the things good we I mean, and also, like, as we talk about comedy rooms, and this has come up over 300 episodes, is those rooms are going to mine your personal material. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. You know, that's, that's the job is to go in and say, here's a funny thing that happened to me. Oh, Your for job sure. is to
2: go in and be vulnerable and make yourself look like a fool sometimes. It's just, like, tell those stories that that um embarrass you that you actually those stories that you wouldn't want anybody else to know about you it's your job to come in and tell those stories and get them put on television
1: that was the greatest thing on uh, Earl the first six weeks or something mm-hmm. of preprodu- we just all sat around oh, and oh, told yeah. the stories about the worst things we've done <laughs> and it was incredible I mean so many of them are in season one you mm-hmm. know like the terrible things I, I shot a girl with a BB gun <laughs> um, which
0: was <is> an episode <laughs> it's we an had episode decided. yeah, yeah uh,
1: it's and every, I mean everybody else like part of them is in there um that's and I think happen. a lot of times executives imagine we all just sit around eating and not and not <laughs> working. And a lot of times we are sitting around eating and just talking. But, I mean, my guess is Modern Family, 90% of those stories come from Monday morning when people talk about what happened over the weekend. Yeah. They and happen. spend half the day. I mean, it's so
0: valuable to do. Uh, how did you guys start working together? How did you start uh, being in love with each other? <laughs> well, <laughs> did, they ha- did they happen around the same time? Well,
2: it's never happened, actually. We oh, you met. don't work together?
0: <laughs>
1: uh, we met at a Halloween party in, yeah. in Hollywood. Um, I had just moved from New York. I worked in book pu- publishing briefly, and then a bunch of friends, we all moved from New York out to L.A. at the same time. And, uh, for some reason we went to, I don't know, we were in jackets and ties. I can't remember why. Like we went to a fancy dinner or something and someone knew about this huge party that was going on. And so we decided to crash it. So there are like five guys in jackets and ties showing up. And it was one of these Hollywood Halloween parties where people have spent, like it, it was a it bunch was all, of feature animation, oh people. My God. yeah, so it was like, it's just like
2: I was good friends with a guy um, who was at uh, disney feature animation and and he actually kind of blackmailed me into going to the party. And you were you already working in TV? I was already working. I would. I was already writing in animation. So okay. I was doing right. like Rugrats and and Real Monsters and a lot of the Nickelodeon stuff. And so I knew all these animators. Um, and so but I they, got they
1: spent months on these costumes. Oh, of course,
2: six or eight months. And the guy that I went with uh, was dressed as the Grinch, full body, head to toe costume oh that he had spent God. six months <laughs> making. And it was right on my birthday, actually, for some reason. It, and my birthday is right around Halloween. Halloween, obviously. And and so for my birthday, he gave me a gift certificate for like 200 bucks, and he's like, you're going to this party. We're going to we're gonna have you meet somebody. And I was like, oh, God, Tim. So,
1: and so we showed up, and we're dressed in, you know, and a friend of mine had just read the agency that William Morris mm-hmm. book, and there's this whole section on CAA, and how the CAA agents all traveled in packs <laughs> in suits and ties. So we decided we were going to, our costume sure, if was anyone asks. CAA agents. And so and it really quickly became just us running around signing Gwyneth, like fake, you know. And everybody played along. And so it was – and I heard streams of bullshit coming out of my mouth that I never imagined before. <laughs> so I guess when you pretend to be a CA yeah. and it happens. But um, – I still hear streams
2: of bullshit coming
1: out of your mouth, though. I just had that – It's happening uh, Literally He's still right now. Pretending. He's
0: still pretending. Please. <laughs> that's, that's
1: right. He's, someday He's you'll still see in the character. real me. Right. Right. Um, But, yeah, and so I was trying to sign the Grinch when Kat showed up dressed as Maul Flanders. Yeah. And I think So if you're gonna go for anyone, you go for the floozy.
2: I think it was I think there'd just been maybe it was the PBS series of Moll Flanders okay. or something like that. I don't know. It was just like You're just a fan. I had two hundred I had two hundred dollars. I went to Hollywood, what was it, Hollywood book and costume and found a great English restoration wig that was about two feet tall and I was like, all right, I had other things I could pull together for a dress. I've been. I used to work at the Renaissance Fair, so I had weird costume pieces like stuck around the house. So, so.
0: much makes sense now. <laughs> <laughs> it does, doesn't it?
2: <laughs> so, showed up as Mall Flanders, and and I had gone off to get me and the Grinch a drink, and I started hearing about these cute CAA agents, and and everybody knew they were in costume, but everybody was really excited, actually, that they were oh kind God. of like CAA agents because there was enough like young actors sure. and all this other stuff, and
1: everybody was role playing like we really could help. Like, their Yes, yeah. well, I think some of
2: them did think right, <laughs> but um, so I'm walking back. Uh, To my buddy, Tim the Grinch, uh, and I see him and one I'd heard like there. Oh, my God, these guys are really cute, too. (laughs) And I walk up and see this guy in a suit talking to my buddy, the Grinch, and I come running over with my giant wig, like waving (laughs) in the the air. and, And I was like, hey, hey. (laughs) we <laughs> was like, hey, oh, wait a second, what are you doing? Everybody knows the Grinch and Mal Flanders work as a team.
1: Y- you know, From my point see- of view, it was like Marge Simpson's wig just came <laughs> the, 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 the yeah.
2: And that was it. That was oh the opening line. God. Yeah.
1: And then That's I asked, I was funny. there with a friend, and I literally did the, I, I, I said dibs <laughs>
0: when I met Kat. You're monstrous.
1: <laughs> I, I knew I liked her. But, you know, the That's weird really thing funny. is you go on a date. After you meet in costume, you really don't know. <laughs> no. I mean, I was sort of in costume. I guess I was in personality costume. Yeah. <laughs> but, I, but you wore the wig for the first six months of. Oh yeah, now, right? I was absolutely. so disappointed when I found out it wasn't real.
0: Um, had you moved from New York to write?
1: Yeah, so I okay. worked in. I was working as a junior agent in book publishing. I'd never crossed my mind you could write TV. I don't think I even oh, thought about it. And then I met these. Well three things or two things happened. There was uh we got a book submission for um Rob Long, a uh, mm-hmm. comedy writer, had a book called um, Conversations with My Agent that he Which sold is actually England. a great book. I read it's so that good. It's a really good like fifteen years ago. <laughs> yeah, that's that's right when it came <laughs> yeah. out. And so um uh, my boss was like, Well you like you like comedy, why don't you read this and tell me what you think? And I was just enthralled by it. It's like <laughs> this is incredible. I didn't know you could do this. So I met Rob and he was great. Oh, that's funny. And I kind of got to ask him, like, how do you get into the business? And then even more so, Cindy Shupak and Alan Mm -hmm. Sandler, who were writing on Coach at the time, they were a team, had a – a development deal with Universal and they were going to do a, a, a pilot about a woman who starts her own literary agency so they were just going around interviewing people Funny. and then I sat down with them and I kind of interviewed them more <laughs> and they basically said look here's what you do write a script you know, send it to us we'll tell you if we think it's any good and if so then maybe you come out for a week or something like that great. and so I had a, a writing partner at the time from that meeting I asked people does anyone know anyone who wants to write and so I met this guy and we wrote a couple uh, samples
0: why did you go looking for someone to work with I have no idea that's funny
1: I think maybe I just it might have even happened that I said oh I think I'm going to write some specs Mm -hmm. and then someone said oh Oh, this guy also wants to I I think I'm not even sure um, but he had a Mac and he had Final Draft,
0: so we oh, you know what he brought to, the, to exactly. the table. Yeah, so that was a big deal.
1: And so, like, we wrote a Friends and a mm-hmm. Drew Carey or something like that, Great. and sent them to Ellen and Cindy. And they, I remember, they called back. Ellen was like, "Look, the story's a mess, but they're funny." Um, and they're like, "Why don't you plan on coming out to L.A. for you know a visit and send your scripts and you know we can send them to our agent and you can do." And so I remember th- uh, this guy David and I were like, "Well, we'll send our scripts out." And we'll give ourselves a week to find an agent. If not, then it wasn't meant to be. And Reasonable. We we had no idea. And we sent our scripts out, went for a week, and got an agent that week. That's crazy. It was crazy. insane. How funny. And so then I moved out. Mm-hmm. Um, they really came skewed out. his perspective I on bet. <laughs> yeah. No, we got really lucky. Yeah. Like, so
0: meanwhile, you had been working in animation. Uh, yeah. Was TV a more... Uh, realistic thing to you? Like, you understood that people wrote TV?
2: Well, well, I understand. Yeah, you know what, I didn't... I, <laughs> I didn't actually... think, like,
0: robots. <laughs> it just no, you, never occurred You to thought me. the characters made it up. I yeah, thought the actors up made up, up are, the yeah. words.
2: Yeah. Um, you know, I actually started out, I wanted to act. And so I came out here to do that, and then I went to um, the Academy of Dramatic Arts for two mm-hmm. years, and then after that, sort of, like, did what all young actors do and go out and try to get work, and I very quickly realized that A, I hated it. And B, I wasn't that great at it. And so it's like, so then you have that sort of like shake up moment when Mm. what am I going to do with my life? And I realized that the one thing that I had always done and had always, always taken me through um, was writing. It's like I was constantly writing I think from the first time I could pick up a pencil um, my mom said I would I would freak her out because I would sit at the kitchen table and just stare off and she was like I know you're not hearing or seeing anything in this room and then I would just write for hours and hours and hours and um so i so I sort of realized that I had done i think kind of a classic mistake in mm-hmm. directing my life towards something that didn't really mean as much to me rather than focusing on the thing that was really important to who I was and I decided I had to take a chance on doing that and um you know kicked around in a couple of other jobs and i, I worked at aids project l a for a while um doing deathbed wills, which was a different kind of writing oh, Lord. but um you know, like, as I was trying to figure out what I was really going to pursue, I sort of felt like I wanted to do something sort of significant for a little while while I was doing it. And then, but it also helped me a lot, taking the leap to, to like, I have to do what I, I have to do the thing mm-hmm. that really drives me. I'm watching a lot of people who never got a chance to do all of those kinds of things. And so it was, it was, hmm. um, and it, it really incredibly motivating for me. Um and then I just, I don't know, I just started writing scripts, and I think I handed a script to somebody who ended up having a connection with animation, and, and um, this guy, Mark Palmer, who was doing Real Monsters at the time, um, brought me on to meet the guy who was uh, running the show, and we hit it off, and I ended up doing like five... Or so of those, and then that's great. And so and real monsters,
1: just, or ah, real monsters.
0: <laughs> Usually, you say ah, ah uh, real, real monsters of Orange <laughs> County. Which one? <laughs> <laughs> that was such a good one. Yeah, that was a good so one. Yeah. But
2: it was like so. It was it was that, and and sure. um. Fortunately, you know, luckily for me, that was a a really really good show, and it also opened the door to me for Rugrats. And mm-hmm. um, but I also got to work with some incredibly talented writers, and then some incredibly talented actors who were, I got to work with, like. Tim Curry did one yeah, of the voices and cool. so you know it's just like i it, it it made me realize that writing was actually impossible mm-hmm. and so from there i got a job on Honey I Shrunk the Kids the TV show that's with right. Peter Scolari and uh, I swore I would never have a partner because it seemed ridiculous to me to split my money with somebody else when I was fully capable of doing it all by myself. Sorry. And um, then I made, uh, we always joke that we made the really smart decision to take two perfectly lucrative careers <laughs> yeah. and turn them into one <laughs> career, one income. Very smart. Yeah. Very smart.
0: smart with money. Good Lord. <laughs> yeah. um, what, how, how did the decision to write together come?
1: Uh, so with this writing partner, I had this this writing partner who was really funny. I mean, he was, I think, one of the funniest people I've ever, but in a bizarre way. Like, we lived in that Fairfax, Beverly district. and
2: Andy Kaufman kind of fun.
1: Yeah, like, it, but for nobody but himself. Like, he had a bicycle and he bought a, a gas, a metal gas tank, and he strapped it on the back. And he poked a hole in it and filled it with water. And then so he oh would spray God. on the back of his leg and he would ride around <laughs> the neighborhood smoking. <laughs> and then so people would be like, Sir, sir. Oh, and like he would think that was and, and it was funny. And and we one of our first meetings we went into together, I remember uh, he thought it'd be funny if if when he went to reach and shake hands with the person, if pills and spent shell casings, like pistol casings fell out. Oh, no. He did that. So he was a really funny guy. <laughs> Um, but but you a know, loose cannon, a little bit oh, of a loose, a loose cannon. And so, um, so Cat and I had started dating, and he, uh, you know, his work ethic. I was constantly ten in the morning. I always wanted to start working on something, and mm. I, I, that's all I wanted to do. And his work ethic was a little different. And so he started getting suspicious of us, I think, that we would team up. We had no interest in ever teaming up, and oh he started calling
0: Kat Yoko Ono. <laughs> and so then... he And he made you, Yoko He did.
2: And he would also make us ride, because he had a girlfriend who lived in town, too, and he would make us ride what I always call Palm Springs-style in the car. John and him in the front seat, and me and his girlfriend in the back seat. And it was just
0: like, what? Weird.
1: But he was, I mean, he was a really funny, cool guy. He was guy. hilarious. I, mean, I actually really good. liked him a lot. But it just the partnership wasn't quite sure. working out. We had different sort of ambition levels and uh but then kat and i would meet almost secretly sometimes and like talk (laughs) about like ah you know it's like i want to work a little more and then we would talk about script ideas Mm -hmm. and stuff and then um i ended up ending the relationship with him and um and trying just going out on my own a little Mm. bit but then I, I think I need to work with a partner because I remember I talked to my sister at one point, tried to convince her to move out. And mm-hmm. I met with another woman at a coffee shop and we were gonna write a Raymond together. And then <laughs> oh, do you remember that? It was a great it was really a good funny. idea. It was a really good Raymond. You spec.
0: never wrote your Raymond
1: though? <laughs> uh, no, we started to and then again it just didn't quite mm-hmm. work out. I think I'm very picky. But um and then Cindy Shupak had this show, Madigan Men, and mm-hmm. she was shooting the pilot in New York, and then she uh, flew me and Kat out to to help in the room and punch up. And it was the first time we were ever in a room together. And I think we were really questioning, like, okay, how's it going to go? You know, are we going to be like, you... You know, I disagree, and you invited too many people to the wedding. And, you know, kinda Which John did.
2: <laughs> Just I want to get it out there. Right I would love now. to get into Let's that. Let's get that on the record. <laughs>
0: Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, we, there's no one coming in here until like 7 o'clock. Let's tonight. settle this <laughs> once <laughs> and for all. Let's get real. Did we
2: really? <laughs>
0: Answer the question, people. We'll tell the story. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's a funny thing. Like, people often ask Acker and me, like, what do each of you bring to yeah. the table? And, and honestly, we've been working together for so long that it that's not how it works yeah. and I'm sure you guys are in the similar place and it sounds like even from the beginning you were that like you wanted the same thing you have a similar sensibility yeah I think- so how do you how do you work together
1: you know it, it's interesting I think we do bring different things yeah. for sure um, and that's what we found in, the, in Cindy's room. But we we worked well together. Like mm-hmm. we we did the yes and with each other mm-hmm. and helped each other out. I think we both liked the fact that we were in a room. And at the time, we were the lowest level. You know, we were writing sure. kids' TV, and then we were in there with you know, like Rob Bragan, who was this you know showrunner level guy. Mm-hmm. And um, anyway, it was a bunch of really talented writers, not to mention Cindy yeah. Schupack, who I think is <laughs> yeah. brilliant. But um, so I think it was it was like oh okay, well we can we can compete. Or, you know work at this level but also now we have someone who's got we got each other's backs mm-hmm. um but as far as i don't know i couldn't even define people have asked in meetings like what do you bring differently and i think there's always that early on i think cat definitely brought a stronger story stance than i did but i think we're we're well, i've evolved my story yeah then that's what happened it, yeah. it does yeah. you kind of become you learn insane. from the other
2: person yeah you do uh, and play off each other. I think John is always, John is John is a faster thinker than I am. It's just like he, he can he can rattle off joke after joke after hmm. joke after joke. And it's just like, and it can become a very constant, you know, it's just like, which is <laughs> it can become a very constant
0: <laughs> <very laughs> It can constant. be a overwhelming. I'd a, little, say yes. <laughs> a little,
2: yeah, sometimes you know.
0: But, I just uh, want five <laughs> minutes of goddamn quiet on a Sunday. <laughs>
2: yeah. yeah, come on, is that too much to ask? Please. Um, no, but it... Um, falls
1: asleep screaming into a pillow. <laughs>
2: <laughs> I always up. called myself more of a, a, a hunter-gatherer writer. It's mm-hmm. like, the, the, you know, the, our writing styles that we had to learn to mesh together, are, I think, are telling. Because John is very much like, okay, so 10 o'clock in the morning, we're going to start writing. We're going to write until 6 o'clock, 8 o'clock at night, depending on, you know, how... But we're going to accomplish this much during mm-hmm. the day. Very Prussian. Very, yes, very hmm. Prussian. Um, <laughs> although your family were the Umpa Germans,
0: we like to say. You should read um, that on right record. <laughs> you understand you're burning all this material. <laughs> oh, <Christ>. This <laughs> is it. <laughs> I know.
2: This, this, it's all done. Um, uh, and so it's... it's it's just we're on we're on a schedule, mm-hmm. and for me when I ride by myself, I always call myself kind of a hunter gatherer It's like I get up, I get my computer set up, I you know make sure everything is right. I have my cup of coffee there, I get up and make you know it's like and then I'll sit down and just sit there, really, mm-hmm. and I just start thinking, I start sort of typing you know vague ideas when I'm on my own and and then I'll get on a roll and write until that roll ends and then I'll get up and make more coffee or go make lunch or whatever. And it just percolates while I'm doing other things. And then I sit down and do it again. But when you're working as a, team you can't do that and we actually had a lot of arguments early on because John would want to work in what I considered an excessively regimented way (laughs) and John was like you know rolling his eyes this is ridiculous am I just going to sit here (laughs) in the living room until you feel like you have an idea and you want to sit down and work right now and I was like well yeah so we really had to come to and I really had to move more towards John's way of work because it you know you can't expect somebody to Mm -hmm. just sit around and and um so it's like I had to go a little bit more towards John's way of working of sitting down and doing it more on a schedule Um, uh, but it it works well then we also
1: found like I don't know, so we'll we'll do that for story breaking, like, and then we don't start at ten; we'll start at like mm-hmm. eleven, <laughs> <laughs> and then which you know, turns
2: into an eleven thirty. <laughs> no, yeah. Like I'm still.
1: You work for an and hour gathering. and then you make lunch. Yeah,
0: and yeah, yeah.
1: <laughs> and so uh, and then once we break the story, a lot of times we'll then just split the scenes up, and then we can write them however we want. Mm-hmm. So then we'll split in half usually, and then so Kat can write the way that she would write the scene, or the page she would write the scene, and I can sit down at sure. ten and do that, and then we'll come back together, and then we're kind of back to the story breaking mode where it's kind of probably starting at 11 because we discover if we do anything before we start writing that day, the day's shot. The day's over. We can't really just pick up at 3 and start. And so then we'll do kind of solid days, you know, sitting next to each other, rewriting. Um,
0: That's that's an interesting thing and it's actually, it's come up once and again over the years about like how to structure your day Mm -hmm. so you can actually write but also live your life and also do all the other parts of the job, yeah. which 80% of the job is not writing. Yeah. yeah. Um, so on on these days when, like, you guys wrote the finale of Downward Dog, you wrote episodes of other episodes of other shows during production, presumably. Right. How well, are you getting the writing done?
1: Well, really, so there was kind of a division of labor in a lot of ways on Downward Dog where, Michael's focus was directing, although we're all part of
0: breaking Holiday, the stories
1: yeah. and giving notes on the scripts. Sam, I would call the head writer of the show, and he things would pass through Sam because that voice is so distinctive. Um, and so, so that
2: included our script as sure. well. Yeah, for sure. For sure.
1: Um, again, we're not going to we're not putting our fingerprints mm-hmm. on this show. We want you know we're we're there to shape. And so in a lot of ways, what we were able to do is it's. It's almost like having a general and a bunch of other generals, <laughs> like the other four, and everybody had their their area, yeah. um, and they were the head of that area. And I think that's how we were able to pull it off um, because there there is there's so much to do. It's mm-hmm. insane. Um, but like on Gallivant, uh, we really everything passed through us on that second right. season, and so that was you know that was different. But because it was with Alan Minkin, we had to get all the mm-hmm. stories started early. We did all of that writing. Probably 80%, 70% of it before we even left for England. So we did, hmm. in eight weeks, we more or less had 70% right. of it all done. Yeah. And all the stories broken and everything. Yeah. And, and then that we, would have to do,
2: we would have to do rewrites on the set. Yeah. Of course, we were in England and right. all the other writers. By then, we're pretty much. You know, off on other jobs.
1: Yeah.
2: Um. So we didn't have really have a writing. Well, we did for a little while, but it's like not much of a writing. But we would take at that home.
1: pass. We would go sit mm-hmm. in a room and rewrite this.
2: Yeah. And so then you would have to do production rewrites yeah. and stuff. And so the a lot of that would be divided up. A lot of that stuff would then have to be done on the weekend because production days were just so long. And then after we were done production at the end of the day, it would usually be John and I split up episodes, and so. Um, he'd sort of be in charge of one. I'd be in charge of the other and or a block because we did them cross, uh, right. cross-boarding um, two episodes at a time. So at the end of the day, when we wrapped on set, we would often just go to a bar, meet the director at a pub and sit and have pub dinner and go over what we were going to be shooting or, you know, wow. like talk about the script entirely and, and go through all of those things to be ready for the next day. That's how
1: Downward Dog was. Too. I mean, it, a, yeah. it is a... You know, I mean, 7 o'clock, 7.30, you're on set. You're up until probably 11 working, like, after you wrap. Wow. Gallivant the good thing was it was 12-hour days, Mm -hmm. and there was, you know, they don't have unions there. Mm -hmm. There's no... Overtime, so it's like at seven thirty you pack up. Right. But you know, downward dog. We were really good, I think, from Gallivant we learned it, but you know, occasionally we would go over an hour or so. So maybe we'd be back at our apartment at nine and working with directors on the next stuff, working with Sam, you know, mm-hmm. Michael. Um, you know, in the meantime seeing what what has Sam worked on, then we would bat around things with Sam and kind of tighten scripts and stuff. Um yeah, so it, it is a it's a horrible full time job. It's it's, it's it's uh it's a lot of work.
2: Yeah, but also because we because we split up episodes, we would go for days and days at a time without even seeing each other. Yeah. It's like by the time we at the end of the production, by the time we see each other again, it's like it's sort of like, Oh hi. Yeah you know. <laughs> oh, you're yeah. in the bathroom now. Yeah. I mean I'm, I've sort of our schedules I've never I've been had to, in charge I had of my
1: stuff for a while.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's it's sort of I was gonna say how bad. healthy it must be. <laughs> it's like I feel like if I were having those days I would never see my wife, but if my yeah. wife were my partner on the project, yeah. I'd at least get to see her. But it sounds like you guys didn't even get that. No.
1: no. Especially in England because we really were all yeah. over the country, so we would I mean we would go a long time without seeing each other. We we you know, when I was on set you know, I would maybe see Cat when after I talked to the director and went to bed and Cat might be out. All, you know, so we would yeah. just barely see each That's other. That's
2: yeah. yeah. And then sometimes it's like one or the other of us would be in London with, you know, pre-records or whatever. Uh, sure. And yeah. so it's just like we could even be in just separate parts of the country.
0: Yeah. That was a, such an ambitious show. Um, you guys did such a great job. I mean, from from season one, everyone did a great job on it. Um, how what was the fun of it for you?
1: um well, i'll tell you i again this i go back to dan fogelman who is the father of that show yeah. without a doubt and he sets a tone um i think he's the best producer we've ever worked with um and we've worked with some great producers mm-hmm. and it's uh it's his style is is fun it's it's a riot and chris Koch, who was the director on the pilot is the same way and um In England, I think it's shooting is taken more seriously, and they—I don't think they knew what to think of Dan and Koch when (laughs) when they showed up because it is a lot of kind of goofing around. It's a more like God, what is that group? Like the Danny McBride school of like people will yell out, like the director Mm -hmm. will yell out ideas, and and so there's kind of a liveliness to it all that has an improv feel Mm -hmm. when you're on set, and also there's a kindness with Dan Fogelman that people are treated with respect, and it's a fun place, and um, so we kind of came into that that world and so for me that was it made it a sort of a comfortable fun place to try things and we definitely continued on with that that vibe mm-hmm. we we don't yell in stuff <laughs> sure. in the same way I, yeah. I don't know why That's just I, not, I, not, our just not style. My style. but um i think the the joy of that show was imagining this crazy thing and for me it was finding kind of the grounded crazy Mm -hmm. version of it and when it would snap together you could see it while you were filming like season one i remember telling the actors they're like this seems crazy Mm -hmm. but we're watching it we're like it's actually something special is happening we can see it happening um and, and I just never get tired of that I guess yeah. I don't know if that answers your question and
2: I think also mixing the absurdity with um, with the, the the real emotion to it sort of like at the end of the towards the end of uh, the second season when Richard King Richard has finally found the woman he really loves and mm-hmm. she loves him and then uh, they're gonna be going into battle together to rescue you know there's this big battle coming and and um, There's the moment when the female character, Roberta, who's a warrior, realizes that while she's tried to teach Richard how to fight, he's clearly not good enough. And she stops and says, I can't go into battle with you. And the whole reason is that I love you. I'm not going to be able to protect you. Hmm. You're not good enough. And I can't watch you die. And I'm not going to be able to do anything about it. And so she's trying to convince him to, to not go into battle and leave with her and it's a very funny scene where she's trying to explain to him it's like no you're going to you're going to die you're going to be really dead it's like your head cut off it's like you're going to get eaten by you know and she did this whole really funny thing but it also needs to be you need to see this land on it can't just be funny. It's mm-hmm. got to be really emotional otherwise you don't care. Yeah. And it so that was a really tricky thing to try to bring that to it. But that's kind of It was the, those
1: moments. I, I remember. it there was a
2: balance we tried to bring through that the entire series. It's mm-hmm. like it's like it may be for a ridiculous reason or you might have a some ridiculous sure. dialogue around it but it 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 came from from the gut. Another mm-hmm.
1: another moment like that is uh in season one there's a song where the chef is singing a love song to um gwen the handmaiden and it, it's the song um if i spend my or i'll spend my life with you i'm forgetting the name. if i could spend
2: my life with yeah, you, yeah
1: and it's just adorable little song and these are the two kind of mm-hmm. the, the you know the picked on the, the these little tiny characters and um i remember we were shooting and there was this great moment where the song had ended we were shooting the Sort of the headpiece, and then the tailpiece, and the musical was going to be shot another day, mm-hmm. but it was the chef coming back in and saying, after he 'd sung this song he 's like, "Meet me you know tomorrow at six o 'clock you know and be there, and he kind of turns and gives a little like yes, and it was the most heartwarming thing, <laughs> and I remember we we tried a few times, and some camera moves weren 't there. And because Fortenberry, the director, like had this gorgeous move that he wanted to make, where hmm. candles were behind it, and uh, and I remember we'd got one, and like Fortenberry and I are the monitors, like more or less like crying. And I remember our DP Chris, um, uh, I'm blanking on his last name, oh, so, no, yeah. but just comes bursting in. He's got like tears running right down his face, like we got it, we got it, yep, we got it. <laughs> <laughs> and Aww. it was like those moments. That's it would happen, like you would sort yeah. of see the crew, and we would all feel it, like something's special yeah. and that, that for me is even on, on Downward Dog the same mm-hmm. way when working with Allison and Lucas and Varian and you would just see stuff
0: and it's like wow that's like electric. You know? Yeah and this is the, why we do what we do. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. You get those moments yeah. and
1: you feel it and, I, and I, I mean sometimes it's funny sometimes I feel like it's not when the actors necessarily feel it sometimes Mm -hmm. it doesn't line up where they're like that was perfect a lot of times it does but there's some times where they're still unsure but you're like that was the greatest thing i've ever seen
2: no you you got it (laughs) you got it because tim was really tim omenson who's fantastic in that moment where he had to you know it 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 dawned on him that roberta was leaving him and Mm -hmm. that he couldn't go with her he had to he had to do the right thing for the really the first time in his life and it was a tricky tricky moment for tim to play and he pulled it off so beautifully sort of that combination of and he knew he did it but he was he was um i think trepidatious going in because it is such a fine line i actually have a picture i took of those two on set um as they were doing their preparation we were filming it in the like a big castle and i was up in an upper balcony and you know, watching lights and stuff being set up, and I look down into the big, you know, great hall, and there are these two wonderful actors um, on uh, standing next to each other with the most intense concentration. <laughs> not like,
1: even looking at each other. Not awesome.
2: even looking at each other, and you're like, ah, oh, they're. It's <laughs> just that's like, great. it's an amazing photograph. I love that picture because there was cool. also yeah. castle light coming through. It was
0: oh, yeah. that's really cool. Uh, yeah. But it, it, it does get back to. What well, you were mentioning earlier, Kat, about emotional honesty, mm-hmm. and that these characters don't know they're in a comedy—they're yeah, being true. Mm-hmm. That's exactly. I think that's exactly it. That's how,
2: and I think getting down to it, I think that's how you can identify probably anything we put our hands into mm. is 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 trying to create that emotional honesty. Not that other people don't, because I think everybody approaches comedy in their mm-hmm. own way. Um, and if it works, it's valid. And but I think that's the way that we naturally approach it from our guts, and that's the kind of uh, comedy that we r- really respond to.
1: I Even think- when it's crazy, I mean, crazy broad. Still, yeah. I mean, it, 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 I don't know. I think broad has a negative connotation mm-hmm. sometimes, and I, I disagree. I think broad, well, broad that's sincere or broad yeah. that's true is fantastic. Um, Absolutely yeah but it is it's sort of i think that's and we've been lucky definitely in the past few shows to work with i mean these the actors we worked with mm-hmm. on gallivin and downward dog are are just so incredibly talented they keep you so honest um you know like allison lucas tim like if, if you're having them i mean kirby barry like i, I want to name them all because they're so good yeah. but it's like they they don't let you get away with a fake line like mm-hmm. they really will be like this doesn't feel this doesn't feel right to me um, and that's a huge and, part of it. Yeah,
2: too. and it's it's all it's really nice. Well, it's really nice when um, they feel that kind of emotional honesty as well. And sometimes they'll come and say, you know, these other things that we've done have felt really real, and this one is the one that feels false to me. And sometimes you just want to be like, I'm tired. Just say, it. <laughs> can't you just just this once? Act but, it. Yeah. Just. I remember. But um, but the whole the whole group of them um. Really kept everything incredibly honest. And Allison, in particular, um, Allison and Lucas, I think, in particular, it's like we're always, and they would never come and be a jerk about it, but they would be like, I think, I feel like there's something. Off here, or 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 explain to me hmm. why you think that this character would be doing this, and you could have those conversations with them. And and um, and sometimes it would be like, oh yeah, I get it. Or sometimes they would say something to you where you're like, oh, it's like you're never so smart that you can't hear something from somebody else. Absolutely, especially the person who's having to do it in front of the camera. And like, okay, no, I get that. That's I think that's right, and that adds something to right. it.
1: I, th- I think that's something we learned. Uh, Being on set a -hmm. lot, but really over the last, for being running Gallivan and Mm -hmm. and this, is I think we first thought we had to have all the answers and, and be the one who said, yes, it's this, and this is why you have to do it. And then we've, we I think we listen now, and we genuinely. I mean, with Tim, you have to listen because he's got a lot of opinions. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I, we Tim No, would you're always, not kidding. We'd always joke like it's whenever Tim would say, "Mr. Hoburg," I'd be like, "Oh <laughs> fuck, here we go. What what is it?" But he does his homework so well. Yeah. If he has a problem with it, it's like he found a flaw. Crap. But um, well,
0: and again, like these guys are living the character. Yeah. yeah. They have to. They have to find the the honesty themselves, and so if they be don't, able to deliver the line a hundred percent. And I,
1: and I think we learned for sure on Gallivan, I think. I think before we always felt like, okay, well, just, you know, say the line. Just, you know, it, it works. We know it works. We've talked about it with right. Room. And we got really open to just listening and saying, sure. okay, I hear that. And if we do completely disagree, we'll have a, a real discussion with it, and we'll always give an actor, if we feel we really need that line, we'll mm-hmm. ask it for it, but then we'll right. find another one for them or they'll they'll offer something up. And I think that really mm-hmm. changed in us, and I think that really helped. Pull the best performances out of these actors. Yeah. I mean it seems like a simple thing that anyone would know, but it took a while to yeah. figure that sure. out.
2: But also it's like in the same way that you don't want your actor coming on set and phoning it in. It's like you can't come on set yeah. and phone it in. You've got to you've got to you've got to read the material you're doing that day, and particularly when you're cross-boarding, which you don't do a ton in television. And and mm-hmm. for people who might not know, that's when you shoot it, you know, you're shooting scenes for two different episodes out of order. You're just grouping things that would be in the same location together. So you're shooting it more. Like a movie, um, you're not shooting it sequentially. So you know you have the character build to that particular motion So you've got to also go in with the homework of this is what happened before this scene. This is yeah. what happened after this scene. Oh, this is a different day. This is a different episode. And you've got to know all those things as much as every bit as much or more than yeah, your actor your does. You got to know <laughs> yeah, your script.
0: That's
2: key. Because sometimes an actor will come to you and say, "You know what? I, this line." Um, you might throw in something on on set, like, uh, no, say it this way instead, or here's a new joke, right. and your actor might come to you and go, you know, actually, in the scene before it, I say something really similar. And you do get caught out that way sometimes, sure.
0: especially when you're tired. Yeah. <laughs> um, all right, we skipped over the whole middle uh, of your careers, but we'll do this again another time. Um, <laughs> I did want to ask, you know, this this approach to hearing the best idea, I assume this... Is how you you run your room also? Yeah,
1: you know. So we've we were second in command on a couple shows, um, which is basically uh, it's a, the, I think the worst one of the worst, the second worst job <laughs> in television. <Yeah. laughs> Running a show is the worst, <laughs> the worst job. Uh, but it's it's really it's a different kind of bad because it's <laughs> like you're. You're you're taking the team and you're taking their time and you're going in the direction you think Mm. the showrunner wants you to go. And ideally, you're in communication with them and and figuring it out. But you know, I mean, you just have different tastes Mm. sometimes. Um, That's a really hard hard thing. But it, it, I think, it really taught us to listen a lot in the room and find what the best kind of what we think is the best thing mm-hmm. but there's always that point when you have to you you have to have a strong opinion and you have to be decisive yes. and when you're running you, you can be less decisive as a number 2 I think you'll come in with two options mm-hmm. and then because there's no there's so much we found now so much less pressure on number being number 2 because <laughs> when you're the one who makes a decision you have to say okay well this is right. it and there's no one else to catch it if it fails um, but I don't know, I, I think that that's sort of the way we like to run a room is be as decisive as we possibly can but as open at the same time sure. and try not to just hammer at what we want but make it clear what we want.
2: Mm-hmm. And, but And I think once you land on the land on the pathway you want. You do have to start closing down other options. You can't sort of start listening yeah. to pitches yeah. that take you all the way back to the beginning of an episode and and you know and start all over again. You yeah. have to you also have to have your taste. On this, It's like, okay, right or wrong, and your taste is different than my taste, mm-hmm. and your path could be perfectly valid, but that's not the direction we're going to go now. So now we're shutting down some of those other doors, and we're heading in this direction. So it's like now everybody has it's to like, row
1: it, the like, boat. Yeah, row the boat in the same direction. We yeah. don't want any oars saying, let's go this way. That's a great yeah, and I, I think that's that's part of it too. And like a friend of ours once said, like if you're not getting what you want from your writers, you're not you're not clear enough on what you want. It, mm-hmm. And so I think we kind of believe that too.
2: And then it's it's like that in production, things on set as well. It's like that with with costumes and sets, and you know all of those things. It's like you've got to be because people will come to you where like should they wear these jeans or these jeans, and you're like ah I don't care, <laughs> just choose a pair of jeans. And um, but uh, you do have to make the choice, and so sometimes it's sometimes it's just being like, I don't know, they look the same to me. That one, that one, right. I feel very strongly about that one now. I like that go that one, um, which can also backfire because then those pants become unavailable, and then you find out somebody paid you know seven thousand dollars to fly a pair of pants in from somewhere. What um,
1: yeah, those you know, pants are a doing little... a commercial next week? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, I mean it, it's interesting. I I haven't thought much about how we we use i think we use a room differently than is a traditional lot of people do. Hmm. um and some of that came from work because we came up through very traditional yeah. rooms and then working with dan fogelman on the neighbors he had spent he'd started in tv but then spent a lot of time in features right. and his his sort of added, his approach to tv was really interesting it was kind of like I want to do it this way. Like, at one point, he told the network, we don't do outlines. And they're like, but we want outlines. i like, I know, it's a bummer, but I don't do outlines. And then we didn't do outlines. <laughs> what? And he has this he's ability. He's a magical ability. He's a magical ability to make you... It was amazing. I remember That's him great. saying, like, I know, it's a trap. <laughs> I but wish I could change it. I wish I could, but I can't, because I, <laughs> right. I don't want to. Um, and it was great. Yeah, but But he had this thing where... Like, we wouldn't sit in the room with all ten of us mm-hmm. and rewrite on the screen. Um, he would pull off. It would be... Cat was on set a lot. And a lot of times it would be me or Kat mm-hmm. and then the writer of the episode. And mm-hmm. it would be like a room of three people rewriting. and it, It's so much more reasonable. It's yeah. great. And then the writer of the draft gets so much more time with yeah. the showrunner and more of their voice in it. Yep. And then it keeps the solid voice and it keeps Dan's voice in that. Mm-hmm. And so... In in Gallivant season one was run by Dan, mm-hmm. and then we ran England, and so it was very much that style. And then when we ran Gallivant season two, it was it was definitely like we talked out the story. Um, although we had a whole we had the whole arc now because mm-hmm. they had to because Alan was right. showing up and Glenn Slater was showing up, um, and then we sort of broke out episodes with the room. And then we assigned scripts, but then um, you know, Kat and I would try to sit with the writer or give them a second pass, and then we would take the last pass. Hmm. But it was it was almost never sitting in the big room, and and I think the reason was we knew the jokes would start to get too polished. Um, hmm. The joke would become the best thing ten people could come up with right. versus what seems funny in the moment
2: yeah. or what that character yeah. might have yeah. actually the the way that the kind of clumsy way a character might have. Phrased it so there's a right. fine line there, but sometimes I think the way you know, sort of like clumsy wording at all, uh, the the way a writer originally pitches a joke is often mm-hmm. shines more than something that's really been
1: yes. um,
0: polished up. Well, and again, there's humanity to that, yeah, and, yeah. And, and it comes back to perspective, yeah, right. And, and with and downward, how this person doesn't
1: exactly. And with downward dog, we would do the same thing with mm-hmm. breaking story, and then it would really be we would just go in a room with sam and michael and and just just kind of do the rewrite there. Hmm. i mean it was much more that of a sense. single voice that way but yeah. i like it. i don't know how the writers like it. Maybe we will find <laughs> out they hate us for it. i don't know. we love the right every writer with these yeah, the got last that. two That's shows. Great staff. incredible staff. Yeah. they're so talented. um some people love pitching in the big room. i love it when it's not pitching like, jokes like, specifically. yeah, like well, when it's not us. <laughs> Um, having to corral sure. that,
0: <laughs> I'd love it. It's a, it becomes a lot, though. I mean, never mind the quality of the jokes or the tenor of the joke that you want. It it becomes it it takes a long time, and yeah. it becomes tiring to everyone. I yeah, like my there are own people weakness, who
1: thrive, but yeah, and my weaknesses, I. I'll know what I like but then there's 10 people there pitching their hearts out and so I'll be like oh okay well I'll put that <laughs> in and then I've lost the sort of yeah. train of what it is and I'm sure the more you do that the easier that gets or it could just be something that some people are very comfortable with Yeah, I mean, we have friends who love they, a huge they, they, Yeah
2: they thrive on that I don't it's like going back to sort of my hunter gatherer ways it's mm-hmm. like I love being in there for story and you know helping break and pitch story and sort of help Um, you know, I've got a, I think I'm got that emotional sense that I want to always make sure that emotional truth is in there to some annoying extent or another. And then, and then I'll sort of pop out. I do a lot of production stuff Mm -hmm. as well, sort of like running around and doing those kinds of things while John will continue running a room and then I'll come in and hear more stuff later. And it's really helpful actually
1: to have someone out of the room to pop back.
0: Oh, for sure. Yeah. Get that, that fresh perspective on it. Yeah. Um and and it sounds like your way of working, and we can take this out, but we've talked about this in the past, is sort of a more novelist approach. I yeah. mean it's it's sort of that big picture and putting it together, putting together the puzzle pieces in your head a little bit before putting it on paper.
2: Yeah, it really is. It is it's it's. I, I've actually been. I've taken drafts of our script sometimes and said, "Let me do all the, you know, the, the descriptions and the black stuff and stuff like that." And then we've gotten the note back, like this reads like a novel, not like a TV show. And it's like, oh well. You're yeah. welcome. <laughs> a good novel. <laughs> a lot of people would. Um, but which you can't do. It's like right. it's. And it it's like it's a it's both a it's a both a good thing and it's a bad yeah. thing because it doesn't you know you're never going to see it on screen, um, but it helps me and it helps it helps me um, corral story in my mm-hmm. head. So.
0: Mm-hmm. And I would imagine it often speaks to tone and the feel of the thing.
2: And yeah, I think it does. I think it does. And I think that it's, um, I well, don't know. I think, that's, like, I think I this write, is what makes this a really good combination.
1: We just wrote this insane pilot for, I think, our just ourselves called Richard, <laughs> Richard Dreyfus Won't Leave. And... Uh, <laughs> I'm in. And the I don't opening, I love it. And so, if I were to write, it's about two nerdy guys who Richard Dreyfuss. They meet Richard Dreyfuss. He takes them out. He wants them as wingmen to hook up because he sees like this 50 yeah. year old woman. He says needs to see Mr. Holland's O face. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, but Richard
2: Dreyfuss moves in with them and then won't leave. And it. then he won't God. leave. It. It's
1: as obvious as the title. Amazing. But so the opening sequence is at. The docks, you know, where something terrible is happening to Richard Dreyfus. And uh, I would write, We're at the docks, blah, blah, blah. And Cat writes more or less, This is the kind of place an LA uh, or a uh, Law and Order would start. Awesome. It's desolate, dark, <laughs> where bad things happen. <laughs> but it's perfect because it sets yeah. the tone better. Absolutely. So, not. yeah, so
2: we end up keeping like that one sentence. Right. I think I probably wrote like the next page paragraph and a half. we didn't need. <laughs> yeah, yeah.
1: So it's like In it, the
2: distance, it, you <laughs> can hear. <it. laughs> Is that a dog barking?
0: (laughs) Look, you guys, whatever it is, it's working. (laughs) Please keep doing it. Um, Once again, Downward Dog. Yes. uh, Premieres when? May Uh, May 17th. May 17th. I cannot recommend this highly enough to people. I was telling you guys, I don't know if we were rolling yet, I was sent the screeners. I was only going to watch half of them because I started yesterday, and I watched all eight in one sitting. <laughs> I love this show. Oh, um, we think um, it's so people super special. It out. It's, yeah, it's and we really can say good. that
2: because we didn't create it. Yeah. yeah. So it's just like
0: I think it is. It's very very special. It really is. Yeah. Um, we'll just wrap up by asking what you guys are watching on TV these days. What are you excited to talk about? What are you excited to uh, share with each other? To put on your TV? I don't know. We're watching.
1: We're watching. We got hooked on a lot of English television Like what? Well, like Gogglebox. <laughs> Have you ever seen oh, that? We're watching Bad. Gogglebox. Oh, they do a version of it here. It's crazy. And it sounds like a joke, but they film like six different people and families. families
0: watching television shows.
2: Oh yeah. <laughs> you yeah, never yeah. see they this show. Version of
0: it here. Yeah,
2: I can't remember that what it's called.
0: sent me down later. a rabbit hole to uh, the something couch people's, yeah, couch, people's something. couch. Yeah, that's a good uh, uh, yeah. And
1: the English one is I don't know there's something about it's it. It's hilarious. It's hilarious. And so we are we, kind oh of excited about that. Uh, we've been watching the propos or the the arrangement. The arrangement. Have you uh-huh. seen that? I've sort of not a, seen
0: it. I heard it's a good uh, take on Scientology, but yeah, it doesn't go deep enough into Scientology. Right. No, it, uh, yeah, it's good. Like kind it's of a too safe. order food and watch it.
1: And, <laughs> yeah, uh, but you know, it's, I, we don't watch a ton of comedies because I think either mm-hmm. we're super jealous, <laughs> <laughs> or or you're like, oh man, I yeah. would have done this different. Um, yeah, but.
2: But yeah, I don't know. It's like I watch... uh, I'm currently catching up on, like, uh, Taboo, the uh, Mm -hmm. UK show with Tom Hardy, which is... But it's too dark for you. So I watch the dark things. Mm-hmm. I guess he's not so surprisingly. Good, yeah. yeah, he's so good. But yeah. So, uh, yeah, we have really eclectic taste. But we'll often sort of look and see what's on, you know, what we can catch on U.K. television. Because <laughs> they also have a different style of storytelling, which mm-hmm. I think we respond to. And we try to sort of, like, bring into a little bit of, like, they just look at things from a slightly different angle. And sometimes. we can
0: steal
1: from them and people won't know.
0: So right, they, they, they won't have, have yeah. no idea. Yeah. What's interesting to me, I've had a number of meetings lately where... We've been told, they haven't said explicitly that they're looking to do the UK model of four episodes or Mm -hmm. six episodes, Mm -hmm. but that's the way the storytelling would roll out. Yeah. And it makes a lot of sense, and it is a different framework for Mm -hmm. telling the story, and it's an appealing one.
1: I feel like on 22 episodes, we've done our fair share of Mm -hmm. full seasons... There's going to be three or four stinkers in sure. there, and you know it going in. Like uh, You try not to make any of them bad, but there's three or four that aren't good. There's a couple that you're like, oh, it was fine, and then some. hopefully some really good ones. Um, we've been lucky enough the last three seasons to work on short seasons. We did eight, Gallivant, then ten, then eight, Downward Dog. Mm-hmm. And you really have the ability to make
0: them great, all yeah. of them. There's um, no filler. There's, yeah, no, there's, there's no, no filler, or, and there's yeah, no bad ideas.
2: Yeah, there's there's none of them that you're like, uh you yeah. know we had to write that too fast or yeah. whatever because it's you it's know.
1: such a great it's a better way to make good tell like we're televisions moving cinematic in so mm-hmm. many ways um and and it's the that gives you that ability to do it you know um,
0: although I, i'll also say what I really like that was done that you guys did or that the other the guys did that you all did with downward dog was it's not highly serialized. I mean they are Mm -hmm. discrete episodes. Yeah. There's running storylines. Yeah. um, but you know, you can watch one episode and wait a week for the next one. You don't have to you don't have to watch them back to back like a Game of Thrones or something. Yeah, Yeah, for sure. Um, No, I mean Was there conversation about doling out story like that?
1: We what we fell in love with is the thought of taking a character who again I'll use Galvin as an example, like Richard taking a character who is at this one place, he's a buffoon and he's, you know, he's not taken seriously and then flip it and make him the most important person in the world. Mm -hmm. And, uh, the, having something that's not strongly serialized, but that's in order allows you to do that. Yeah. Um, like with downward dog, I feel like the character that Allison plays starts off kind of thinking she wants one thing to show Mm -hmm. that she's worthwhile. She thinks she needs the right boyfriend and the right job. And then by the end, More or less, Martin tells us it doesn't matter. Those things don't matter. What matters is that you're, you know, you love yourself more or less. Mm -hmm. That you're around people, and uh, so by doing a shorter number, you can tell more of a. It's like a light movie arc in a a weird way. But Um,
2: you leave it open. Yeah, I mean, you're still leaving it open for you know if there is to be a second season, it's like where we pick up with that character and now moving into this phase of her life, which I think. I, I like to see character progression, and that's something you really have a hard time doing in a 22-episode show For because sure. the nature of a 22-episode show is you end your characters basically exactly where you started them at the beginning of the episode. Yeah,
1: <laughs> and you also don't know usually like are we going to have 22 to tell this? Do we yeah. have 13, so just practically. In what order
2: are they going to put them in? Yeah, and then <laughs> the network true. can flip
1: them around, and yeah. um, and I think that's why you know it, it's hard. Uh, like on, on Earl, we were able to season two make a season arc like Mm -hmm. we knew we wanted to I think put him in prison was the end of season 2 like he sacrificed himself and went to prison Um, we knew that going in like Garcia had this idea like that's where he's going but season 1 you can't do that because you may only do 13 so I think when you have a short
0: order you know you're going to get through that you probably won't get more um, because just the way these schedules work um, That's interesting. Yeah. Um, and I, I do feel like we're only getting to know these characters on Downward Dog, <laughs> so I sincerely hope there's more. Yeah, I hope we get we to live too. with them some more. Um, thank you guys so much for being here. This is oh, really fun. Yeah, this us. was great. Thanks.
2: Now leaving nerdist.com.